0: Design thinking is both a method and a mindset of approaching problems, complex problems, any problems that involve people.
1: In, in the journey where we create the most values just to help people navigate that ambiguity or sit there because it's a complex problem. If I was in another organisation I'd probably be very adaptive and responsive to what their needs were.
2: Hello, and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And in this show, we have not one, but two guests. Uh, Lauren Tan and Liz Sutar are both specialists in human-centered design Inside Deloitte Consulting. And if that sounds like a bit of a mouthful, worry not. Human-centered design is all about helping the various teams inside Deloitte solve complex problems using tools like empathy and, of course, creativity. Paul, what what kind of lessons did you take out of this amazing show?
3: What I took from the show, Chris, is really, I suppose, looking under the hood uh, of how people that are embedded in an organization successfully enable... Uh, creative processes for professional services uh, consultants. So for me, it was incredibly, you know, insightful. Um, their own journeys, particularly that they're where they both came from, you know, from very different uh, points of view. Uh, yeah, incredibly powerful stuff. So enjoyed the discussion immensely. Again, we could have gone for
2: hours. <laughs> uh, we've we've called the show "Creativity by Stealth." I think that's a really appropriate title because. Um, they recognise that so many business people are a bit suspicious and sometimes even scared of creativity or, or this strange thing called design, and they've learned how to wrap creativity in business processes, in business speak, and to make people feel comfortable with it and embrace it. So I think there's lots to learn in this show. Yeah, no, lots to learn, lots to take away. Let's get them in. <laughs> Lauren Tan, Liz Suter from Deloitte, a huge welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, great to have you both on the show. Yeah, we're very excited. It's been quite a while lining up uh, this show. And we- it's interesting, we seem to be being drawn to Deloitte. We we spoke to Matt Lawson recently. We've had eco Levick on the show, all from Deloitte, which I think says something about the amount of creativity going on in Deloitte at the moment. But before we get into that, Lauren and Liz, maybe Lauren, start us off. Give us a quick pot of history. What what brought you to Deloitte and to be working with Liz? And Liz, maybe you could tell us the same.
1: Yeah, sure. So am I might just start... Uh when I went to design school after school, and that's where I realized I was more interested in the creative process rather than the creative output. So um, I studied visual communication at UTS and I just loved the process of creativity more so than creating like posters and websites and products. And at the time that I was studying, IDEO was commercializing the term design thinking or the phrase design thinking. And I got to work with a creative director at a branding agency who was very much across, um, or very much let me engage with him in conversations where we were looking at the intersection of design and business. So, what value, what contributions could design bring from a problem solving and a process point of view? To to business, so I actually went to business school after at Sydney Uni just to find out for myself is there a place for design in the business world. Um, my professors <laughs> didn't know what I was talking about, so I did a lot of self directed work, and then I worked in customer experience in the very early days, uh, bringing that design thinking methodology to that um, to the consultancy, and then I went to do a PhD looking at designing. The social issues which i absolutely love it's kind of my passion area um just helping people navigate the complexity of social issues and the ambiguity that can kind of and the context the complexity around the context that can kind of exist around that so I did my phd in the uk and i came back to australia and i actually just did um four week contract with deloitte, deloitte digital at the time and after that we just had a really great connection and um 18 months later i just came on board as a permanent employee at deloitte um in my role i did a lot of uh workshop facilitation so design thinking style workshops that people loved and and it was pretty new at that time this is probably eight plus years ago and so many requests would come in to you know help people run these types of workshops. And one day my boss was like, there's just too many requests, we can't facilitate and say yes to all of them, what are we gonna do? And I just said, what about we just train people in how to do what we do? And so that's actually what started this whole enablement piece of the team that Liz and I run now, which is called Design for Business. So we are an enablement team and basically what we do is we enable and bring capability uplift to our national consulting practice about four or five thousand people now um in design thinking human-centered design methodologies and and frameworks and we have extended that training curriculum now beyond workshops into other areas and applications
2: lauren before we before we pressed record you had a really cool sound bite which was to say that you're about enablement And eminence. I thought that was really clever, helping people do things and eminence, I'm guessing, stand out, best practice, those kinds of things. Fantastic. Liz, I mean, you're obviously both in... in Um, designed for business together. So I imagine there's a lot of parallels in that story. But what about your own personal background?
0: Yes. So my background was in marketing. um, And when I got out of marketing, I got straight into wealth management because people said, oh, this great place to work, BT, go there. And I was surrounded by creatives, even though I was doing rotations around all parts of the business, which was great for me. But I loved marketing. And then even in marketing, we were, I was surrounded by amazing um, marketers that got the very best, like, People like John Bevins from Agency Land In, and we had the best form designers. So I've always been surrounded by great designers, even though I was coming at it from a marketing strategy point of view. Found myself leading a marketing team in New York, completely not happy with that scenario, and ended up at a startup, which is where my work changed and where I first experienced working with IDEO. And, and designers on design thinking and innovation for a, um, a new startup bank, which was so much fun. It just opened my eyes from that approach of thinking so much about it to actually getting out in the real world, getting with the real people, doing ethnography, understanding what it is that people need, and bringing it back. And that's where I found my voice with creativity because I work with a lot of very rational people or logical people, but I can bring the human side or the problems that people are encountering, turning them into opportunities. And when I I went on a two-year adventure to France with my little girls at the time and my husband, we were wandering around France. um, And when I came back, all people were pointing me to Delight. Go speak to Delight, go speak to Delight. And um, Lauren and I had previously met when we were in an innovation lab at ComBank many years before that. So yeah, we've just been working together since. It's been four years and we have, a lot of fun teaching creativity to others helping demonstrate it show it um and helping others to do it um, because it's it's a passion of mine
2: it sounds as though this whole concept of creativity and maybe design thinking it is, is i don't think it's, i think it's fair to say gathering momentum i don't know if you could say kind of the how far progress the journey is going and one of the assumptions that we've built this show around is the idea that creativity is a bit of a scary thing in many businesses. It's kind of an untamed beast. And a lot of business people are a little bit kind of wary of what creativity might do because it might disrupt or it might do something that they don't expect. So, so tell us, how is it that Deloitte have embraced creativity? Maybe it's tools and techniques from, from IDEO. Tell us more, how has it become such a creative organisation?
1: Yeah, let me let me start because I probably take us back to more than a decade ago. And this was before Liz and my time at Deloitte. Um, Deloitte was in Australia was one of the early adopters for design thinking in business. And that was due to the then CEO and chief strategy officer that were at the helm of the firm. They became very interested in design thinking. They took their exec team to um, the U.S. to kind of study this new concept called design thinking. And then they brought it back to Australia and just said, we need to redefine the way professional services are experienced for our clients. And we will use design thinking as the way or the path um, to, to do that. So... I think when I walked into the firm some eight years ago, that foundation was there and there was that advocacy from the top down. Um, Obviously, the chief executive officer and chief strategy officer have moved on now and we've been through different, um, you know, leaders at that level. But we have found that there are pockets across Deloitte that are very interested where, where design thinking has been and creativity has been very sticky. Um, and we've got a lot of senior partners still at the firm that were there for those early days of design thinking that still had that experience and it was sticky for them. So a lot of them do come to us.
2: We're throwing around this bit of jargon. I'm thinking about people listening going, what's design thinking? This sounds a weird thing. And one idea going through my mind, by the way, is that the clever one of the clever things about design thinking is it avoids the word creativity so even if you worry about creativity you might be okay with this strange thing called design thinking sounds more scientific sounds a bit more but, but for, the, for the benefit of our listeners tell us a little bit what, what is design thinking?
0: Design thinking is both a method and a mindset of approaching problems complex problems any problems that involve people uh, and it is an approach that w- well that the methodology is around um, identifying the problem and um, delving into the problem first before solving it so keeping those things distinct. You talked before about um, business and why it's so attractive, and that is because design thinking or human-centred design helps to time box these things for business, helps to make it safe for business, um, and gives it a language and a sort of a measurement and a way of you know constraining it in a way. Uh, So there's also these mindsets that come from the design field, and we talk about, there's many mindsets, but we talk about four in consulting. So as much as the method is important, um, and this idea of divergent and convergent thinking. So that is different to a more linear structured approach to thinking which is more hypotheses based. A design thinking approach is more about going out and discovering, diverging, seeking perspectives, a lot, lots of different perspectives, and then converging to decide where you're going to focus, and then again, diverging when you're coming up with solutions. So, not a linear process of saying, here's the solution, but exploring many different, experimenting with different types of solutions before you converge and decide. So, it kind of makes it safe for business, and those mindsets, sorry, are empathy, curiosity, um, which is about, you know, approaching any problem with a curious mind, almost like a child. Empathy is about yeah. taking different perspectives, um, stepping into other people's shoes, collaborating together. But it's not about collaborating as a team to solve a problem. It's about collaborating um, with the people that you're designing for, so seeking out those people and going spending time with them. Um, and experimentation being about don't just stop at one, don't just stop at the obvious. Like what? How else can yeah. we broaden this and test it out with with the people that we are serving? Um, just
3: a just a question. Just sort of going back to uh, Lauren when you were saying that basically, you know, when you came in, it was a foundation, and there's still pockets. Is the situation now where? you know, like you're in too much demand or you're having to sell it to areas. Like, you know, you say it's sticky. Is it still, is it sticky all over or is only sticky in pockets? You know, like what is the take up now? Because obviously, you know, you're internally funded, but those people have got to, you know, charge out. So anything they work with you, they're not charging out, I'm assuming, unless you're helping them with co-design. But you said you're very interested in the process. So I'm just really interested how you sell it within the organisation.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Oh... This is a good, it's a really good question. I mean, we are essentially an enablement function. So we do plug into the already established learning curriculum. And Liz and I very much do, we have been in the business for a long time now, and we do know operationally the business quite well. So we're able to kind of um, embed ourselves or insert ourselves in places where things already, structures already exist. Um, and it doesn't feel like we're additive or augmenting something. And that's really important for our consultants and our partners because they are very busy. They're often at capacity. And so us knowing the business very well from an operational side and a structure side and a policy point of view just lets us be in places where it doesn't feel like we're separate because we are very much trying to blend the creativity with the analytical thinking. So Liz talked about mindsets. So we do work in a place where the dominant mindset is very structured and analytical and we definitely push the point of view of we need to level up creativity or creative problem solving and creative thinking with analytical thinking and structured problem solving
0: yes but when you look for opportunities you find brave leaders or brave people who try things out and they're always the curious ones and that's all you need and you never run out of those people in consulting because they're they're all around you whether it be partners or graduate from partners to graduate it it doesn't matter so and usually it's people who need help solving a problem so they'll try new things
2: i I was just wondering if there are a lot of frustrated creatives in deloitte We've, we've spoken to a whole bunch of you think very analytical people lawyers for example um and and when you scratch the surface you discover when they're not lawyering they're writing books or they're writing children's stories all are so i wonder if you what you need is the brave leaders who are themselves frustrated and I, yeah, I can see you guys both nodding tell us more about that
0: oh look i love hearing people's stories when we start this when we start our um any workshop or anything we do you know um, how creative are you? And some people are like, "Oh, I feel deeply uncomfortable." That word, creative, even the word designer, Chris. You were talking before about creative being intimidating. Design is actually intimidating as well. So <laughs> well, I don't know if design thinking's helped that at all. But it is about like every one of us. And it, um, but what has been turned off? And all the stories, sorry, you hear from people in Deloitte. And oh my goodness, like just this morning, people's backgrounds that I heard about in this workshop I was in—they're all creative. They just find themselves in business and then they can think they don't have permission or they can think it's not okay here and those sort of things. So it's about, you know, showing that it is okay that this is how we solve problems and we blend it with the structure because you are always going to encounter both types and you need to work out when to flex and blend the two together. Um, that's when it's most powerful um, and that's when you don't we're not saying one's more superior than the other we're saying you need both if you're going to solve complex problems
2: so i'd love to hear more about paul's sort of description of what you do which is sort of creativity by stealth um I've learned, you know, blend within the existing structures. Don't try and fight whatever structures there are already is clearly one way of doing that. How else do you infuse creativity into light when people have been taught to be analytical and, and linear and so on with their thinking?
0: Um, do you want? I can talk. One way is with empathy, actually, for consultants and what they're going through. So their experience is very stressful on projects, coming together as a team, solving really complex problems, where do you start, having all different points of view and bringing those together. So we look for the problems that they have and try to put it in their context. So if we look at what we've done as we've tracked um, what, what a typical engagement looks like and then how can we help them? What are their pain points? How do we help them in delivering their projects? For example, one of the ones is um, getting everyone teaming um, at the start of projects and kicking them off. So how can we help be creative? Um, How can we bring creative methods and tools and codifying that for teams to help them bring creativity to that project from the very first meeting, if that's, you know, if that's an important moment in their project. So that's kind of by stealth in that you're trying to understand where their problems are and then bringing things in that can help them
3: lauren i have a i have a question for you thanks for that liz actually one of the things i just wanted to say is that because uh chris and i both you know sell creativity to corporates and it can be hard i often use the word ingenuity uh by definition clever original and inventive which i think it's something that you know we've had in this country um you know both in indigenous uh founders and you know, and uh and the first settlers we've had to have it by by necessity um but just sort of following on from what you're saying liz i just want to ask you lauren um do you – and this is a problem that I have as well because, you know, you're trying to teach them how to do it. Um, do you help them solve the problem? <laughs> you know, do you get do you get in there and go, you know, like – because I know that my thing is that, you know, if I give someone an idea, even if it's a great idea, if it's not their idea, you know, the CEO is not going to go with it, you know. So you've got to get them to think it's their idea. Um, but I'm just interested because you guys are obviously good at it and you love the process. Do, do you get your – hands creatively dirty do you get in there and fiddle fiddle yeah. with their minds
1: like <laughs> yes definitely so i mean we do run training sessions and that's very much like you know it's like a classroom setting and it's for really individuals and we're very aware that when the individual goes back into their teams or their practice sometimes they might have been the only one on that journey so yes we do we do take a coaching role where we work with teams And we let them as a form of enablement just observe us um, in the planning process, in the design process. Say, let's give an example of a workshop. Um, So we're in there with the trenches, in the trenches with them. And then we will actually lead the facilitation of the workshop. Um, It is usually with somebody who has the subject matter knowledge, whether it's the industry or the sector or the issue. Um, And just through the observation and working with us, people just pick things up. And usually the next one, we might not hear from them ever again, but later down the line, we'll hear that they've been just running that same style of workshop. And that's really the best outcome for us. So we're trying to cover enablement in the broader sense. So not just um, classroom training, but also coaching, demonstrating as well. That's really why we call it enablement because... We are there to support. Um, Sometimes the enablement could be just giving them that creative confidence um, and giving them that feedback that they can do it. Um, so, So yes, and I normally get asked to play a bigger role in very complex problems or issues. So where Liz and I get approached and we are working with teams, it's where the teams feel that the The issue or the problem is, is very complex, it's very ambiguous, and they don't know how to get through that first phase of sitting in the ambiguity. And that's where we, I think that's probably in, in the journey where we create the most values just to help people navigate that ambiguity or sit there because... It's a complex problem.
2: Lauren, why? Uh, Because if I can just be Dell's advocate for a moment, Mm. a complex, ambiguous problem where you might need very specialist skills, it it could be perceived to be very dangerous bringing in kind of outsiders who wear this design thinking hat. What would they know about it? Why do you add most value in those complex areas?
1: Yeah, I think, you know... We talk about the process and the methodology being industry, sector, problem and issue agnostic. And so actually somebody asked me yesterday, am I just constantly researching and Googling things? And I was like, yes, actually, that is, <laughs> that is our life. <laughs> um, I, we could be working on a whole range of issues or topic or subject matters at any one time. It is quite crazy, and and Liz will know sometimes cognitively I need to decompress. (laughs) Um, But I think sometimes it's about, you know, I always, I have a very strong point of view about can you be a facilitator and a participant in a workshop at the same time, and I don't think that's a good idea. So sometimes people need to be a participant in their own workshop and that's where we can come in and be almost that objective and neutral facilitator but business mindset and organizational cultures have a tendency or habit to try and converge and solve really quickly you know get get rid of the conflict and when teams need help with a very complex problem where they know intuitively and in their gut they need to sit in that complexity and ambiguity for a while. That's when they kind of come to us because they know that if we converge too quickly and maybe it's because we don't have enough stakeholders engaged or people need to get things off their chest, um, that's when they'll approach us
2: it 's interesting we've we 've just concluded a season on neuropsychology mm-hmm. the, the neuroscience of creativity, and I think i 'm pretty confident our neuroscientists would love would love you for that point because what they suggest is that we're too eager to get out of that uncomfortable space of not knowing and we, we l- sort of lurch to solutions when if, we, if we're a bit more safety and a bit more confident to explore to ask new questions and to live with that discomfort we get much better outcomes so yeah it's great to hear that. Oh, I wonder if I could ask you a bit about the point you mentioned just before we hit record on this podcast, which is about codifying processes. And you mentioned it, that, that part of your role as in, in design thinking is to kind of basically write the formula. This is how you might, I don't know, run a workshop to find a problem, build empathy. And, and the reason I, my ears pricked up when you said that is uh, because I uh, a while ago went to a, um, an evening with Yotam Ottolenghi, the, the, the famous chef and I thought it was the most boring evening of all time because I'm not a chef myself. He didn't demonstrate any cooking at all. He didn't touch a saucepan. He's talking. And he made this point almost in passing, which is that chefs hate recipes. Because they're creatives and the whole idea of writing down, codifying what they do is kind of a contradiction in terms of them. I suddenly there was a light bulb moment it. I can see why chefs would hate recipes. In fact, any creative would hate to codify what they do. So how do you codify a creative process, I guess is my question. And do you struggle with that in the way that other creatives might?
0: I think when you're trying to enable others to do it, it's like... A designer might break some rules or not do things the way we're saying, but we treat people like when you're a toddler and you're learning to work, well, you need the guardrails or someone to hold you, and so you might end up with them off in the future, but it starts in a safe way where you're quite telling them what to do until it becomes a familiar muscle or thing that they can do once they've tried it out for themselves. So I think that's why we codify, to make it safe to try and that it's in the context of the people that we're serving, which is consultants, so that they can use it in their projects, in what they're doing, and they can apply it. And and the other thing is about not having it to be hard. So when we codify it, it can't be laborious. It It has to be something that's easy for them to adopt and something simple for them to try. So it is hard to codify. Lauren, I'm sure you've got a lot more to say. Like we're codifying so many things at the moment in the last month. My goodness.
1: And I'd probably just build on what Liz was saying in terms of our audience. They are business people. Um, There is a culture in business or a vocabulary in business where things like frameworks, methodologies and that level of codification people respond really well to. And I guess it just gives them a starting point or an accelerator. So often when we're starting out designing a workshop we'll put up our framework and you know what the resulting workshop looks nothing like the framework but it gives people a lot of comfort um for the people that we Mm. we work with um it gives them a starting place or maybe it could be a point of inspiration as well but it is really about Mm. the vocabulary of business we are trying to you know very much align to that and adapt to that because that is our context. When we talk about creativity, we understand there is a bigger more global um, concept for creativity, which is probably what you guys explore in the podcast. but for Liz and I, we always talk about creativity in business that's that's for well, organizations that that is our context and we're very adaptive and responsive to that.
0: It, it's almost like you can start out with someone who is a structured thinker with a structure to get them to the more yeah. creative side, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's
2: the empathy, yeah. building yeah. Up yeah. empathy, yes. Yeah. So, um, Lauren, we talked a lot about empathy with enablement, but how do you build evidence uh, for design thinking in Deloitte?
1: Yeah, so I think in the beginning we talked about creativity and design being quite sticky in disparate parts of Deloitte. And a couple, a number of years ago... Liz and I thought, well, you know, we've got to start to bring this together in all these disparate parts together. So what we do is um, annually we publish a magazine called Make. Um, it is a very well-designed publication and it basically is kind of like our portfolio or it's the curation of projects across Deloitte and especially in cons- Deloitte Consulting where we have brought... Um, design thinking and creativity to business, um, mm. to problems that organizations are facing and where we've solved them together with our clients. So we can put, give you a link to the latest edition, but we do do a short print run um, as part of our eminence play, I guess, in raising awareness and showcasing creativity in business.
3: Okay, great. We'll, we'll put that link, we'll put that link in the show notes. So, uh... So, great, thank you for that. Actually, it's interesting, I've really enjoyed that passage of conversation because I I made a note to ask you a question. um, That, you know, the language that you use, and I know that you're both very creative, you know, methodology and codification and stuff like that. Do you think that you would have a different approach if you didn't end up in Deloitte? You know, like if you were at at somewhere like IDEO, and I've done some work with IDEO myself, you know? Like, do you think that you've become... You know, like, you've learned how to do it, so now you do it and you speak, you speak their language, I suppose. Um, do you think you would approach it differently if you, you know, were outside in a in a, a freer environment sort of thing? I, I know I'm just really interested because, you know, the challenge that Chris and I constantly have is about selling creativity to business. Now, you, you're embedded in there, uh, and so you sort of, you, you know <laughs> how, to, how to how to talk to them, you know? So I'm just really interested well. in it.
0: Got a funny story about that because I found myself um, at BT slash Westpac and we were trying to help the business understand what it was by bringing in designers. And so I was sort of juggling these two, like people who don't know anything and people who know so much more than me. Um, And so what I found is that, you know, just let designers do, they'll break all the rules. You don't have to codify it for them. They get it. But you do have to codify it and you have to let designers break rules because once you codify it for designers, they're going to go nuts um, if you try to constrain them too much. So, yeah, and I think that juggling of working with creatives and ho- trying to help enable everyone to be creative is is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that was my experience of codifying versus just letting designers sort of do it within a business constraint but letting them do their thing and breaking yeah. some of the codified rules.
3: Yeah. How about you, Lauren? Do you have an a, a insight into that? Um,
1: um, I think if I was in another organization, I'd probably be very adaptive and responsive to what their needs were. Yeah, um, Yeah. so yes, it probably would be different. There would be some level of codification, but whether it's to the level that we are currently doing now at Deloitte, um, it might be more. It might. It might be less. It basically would be what. What were the needs for that business and the people in the business or the clients?
0: Yeah. So I actually think Idea were amazing at codifying, making yes. um, codifying design, so it felt safe for business.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very good yeah. at it. Um, so. Um, so obviously what you're doing is, is working um, because you still have your little team <laughs> and still in, it's still in high demand uh, and Deloitte is obviously still creative and becoming more so.
2: I'd love to hear about creativity for you when you're not in business. Why don't you have a creative outlet or cooking, music, writing, painting, anything like that? And if so, does what you do at work affect it either positively or negatively Liz you're grinning are you creative when you're not at work
0: well I am creative in I'd like to say parenting is so creative because every day I have a new problem that I have to solve one that I've never encountered before but I have to have empathy for not only um, the child with the problem or the two children or the husband like fixing looking at the ecosystem so I actually love that I actually love problem solving In my family, (laughs) creatively, and actually helping people to, yeah, just blossom or come out of, you know, problems that they're dealing with. I actually love nature as well. I'm living at the moment south of Sydney um, and my outlook is um, wildlife and, and beautiful gum trees and one day there's a deer going across or a wombat. So I love walking out in nature. I just find nature so calming and it actually helps you, your mind wander. And the other thing I believe, I've always been part-time. Before I have children, I've always been part-time. And the CEO I worked with in the UK said, Liz, you are more creative because you take that time off. And Mm -hmm. so I work one day, have a day off, work one day, have a day off. And in those two days off, I'm still working because I'm still thinking about what I need to do, but I'm doing it in a way that I'm controlling my time and I'm feeling like I can mind wander. or Yeah, so that's how I do it.
2: I remember reading a CV from somebody applying for a job and it was uh, you know, what he'd been doing for the last couple of years. And she said, I've been bringing up a young family, which means I'm great at planning my time. I'm good at budgeting and good at delegating. I'm highly creative. I'm well-organized. I'm, I thought, absolutely, I <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I, don't... I don't know if you're, you you mentioned that, that word, mind-wandering. I don't know if you're aware. It's it's an official part of the neuroscience vocabulary. Yes, it's a, it's and it's understood now to be a very important part of the creative process so that makes sense to me as well
3: we had Moshe Bar, who wrote a book called Mind Wandering on the podcast at the end of last year and one of his mates Jonathan Schooler who calls it Mind Wandering rather than Mind Wandering so, uh, so yeah. So they're they're
2: worthwhile. Uh, worth checking out both those episodes. How about you, Lauren? I know you're a published author, so clearly you're a writer as well. Oh, so. I, I was
1: trying to be. So yes, yeah, so I I think in my spare time I have engaged in like doing things like blogging and writing papers, mostly from my academic background, and also writing a book. Um, but I have recently bought an old doll's house, a beautiful one that was made in the 1980s, and I'm renovating that with my daughters. They're very young, they're only seven and nine years old, um, and they were my inspiration. They took polymer clay and they started making miniatures, and I thought, well, how can I participate in that? So I went out and just bought a secondhand doll's house, and... Yeah, the last weekend I was demolishing the inside without too much success. But I've been making miniatures. (laughs) So I've been making things like couches and little baskets, things I kind of couldn't find for myself online to buy outright. So I've had to design them myself. But
0: you know, I think And they look amazing. I'm sure they do.
3: It's
1: (laughs) I think it's about building these imaginary worlds. That's what I see my daughters do. I think I'm doing
3: that right now myself. That's fantastic that you've got into that. One of the things just to to note, and when you started earlier, that you realised very quickly that you were interested in the creative process rather than the Mm -hmm. outcome. Almost every one of our neuroscientists that we interviewed from all around the world all started with an interest in writing or painting or music, and they all went, Oh, you can study creativity. You can actually learn about, you know, how the brain works. In, and they all basically gave, most of them gave it up and just, you know, got you know, so entrenched into this. So it's really interesting, this whole thing about, you know, the the doing and the learning and the process and, you know, in and out. But they all started from, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be an author. Oh, you know, I was going to be a painter. Oh, I was a musician. And it's just, it's just fa- so fascinating. Um, to bring it around, now, listen, um, unfortunately, our time is up. Uh, and uh, it's been an absolutely fascinating uh, conversation with both of you. Um, really insightful. I think for Chris and I both, you know, we we're going to do a little bit more creativity by stealth. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think for me that's the big take-up. Creativity by stealth. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we're going to do more embodiment. I love all your e-words. You got you know embodiment and uh, engaging and eminence and um, empowering. So there's barely, uh it's an e-conversation today. So thank empathy. you, Laura. En- Empathy as well, yes. Um, thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Liz. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much
0: for having us. a pleasure that.
2: to talk to you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That was fun.
2: Well, uh, oh, once again, I think we could have talked all afternoon, and actually we, we did talk for a fair amount after we stopped, pressed, stopped the recording. Such a lovely people, such energy to infuse into their topic, and I'm filled with ideas about um, codifying, uh, ideas about noticing what, what, what's going on, about the four mind states. Uh, it's about the, the importance of having senior leaders who endorse what you do. Um, uh, oh, look at this. Um, lots and lots of amazing lessons from them.
3: And, and look, the bit that I, and it was a very subtle thing, and I think it was Liz said it, she said, you know, we basically get teach people, you know, people, the people that step up people that are brave, and they're the ones that are curious. And it's just, you know, there's something that we both know and talk about ourselves, but just the way that she put it really rang true for me about the fact that, you know, all through history, the people that were curious had to be brave, you know, they're the people that tried something new, and they had to be brave, whether it was playing with fire, so to speak, or... You know, sticking their head into a cave that you know might have had a resource in it, also a saber-toothed tiger.
2: It, it reminded me of our, our show with Nigel Marsh. He talked about having a really clear idea of what you're trying to achieve, big, brave idea, um, and then creativity flows from that. So, yeah. yeah with you completely um, I hope anybody listening is as excited about what we've heard as we are we'd love to hear your comments and feedback please uh, give us a recommendation please give us a rating we'd love it if it's a 5 out of 5 rating obviously but most of all tell you mates please forward this podcast to anybody who you think might be interested it helps us get the message out there and helps support this podcast
3: yep yeah, that's right Chris so thanks for listening and tune in next week we'll see you next week bye for now